former ICC and Cricket South Africa CEO Harun Logat has seen it all in the game, from South Africa's tentative return to the international arena in the early 1990s to India's rise to cricketing superpower in the 21st century. He famously stood up to India at ICC meetings, both as CEO of the international organization and of CSA. It was controversial and led to some spats, but Logat always put the interests of the organization he was representing and of the game of cricket first. After parting ways with CSA in acrimonious circumstances in 2017, Logat has returned to the private sector but has been involved in the establishment of the Pakistan Premier League where he has brought his considerable knowledge to assist the launch of that tournament. With COVID-19 wreaking havoc with the playing schedule and CSA in a dire financial situation, Logat joins me, Craig Ray, on the Maverick Sports Podcast today to talk about the game, its past and much more importantly, its future. Welcome to the show, Haroon. Thank you very much, Craig. Nice to have you on and a man of your experience in cricket. We'll get to the future in a moment, Haroon, but the past. You were a decent all-rounder as a player. I was uh, checking your stats. A bit of a bowling (laughs) all-rounder. I would have called myself a batting (laughs) all-rounder. Well, I was just going by the averages. 18 bowling average, 24 batting average. That's pretty pretty handy either way. No, and I think that pretty much shows the state of the pitches that we had played on. Because if you had a, call it 25-plus batting average, uh, you probably weren't a bad batsman. Really? Okay. Which did you prefer? Uh, Personally, of course, the batting. (laughs) Bowling is hard work. (laughs) It is hard work, but I suppose batting is rewarding. But it's one of those, cricket, just one of those strange games. It's it's an individual game within a team sport, isn't it? Exactly. I I guess it's like administration. (laughs) It probably prepares you well because although you're representing an organization, there's a lot of personalities and and individual little skirmishes and, and egos you have to placate. Would you, would you agree with that? Without a doubt, Craig. And I think uh, the sad reality that you keep on learning is that self-interest tends to trump uh, the organizational interest. And, and even today, we look at not just South Africa, but clearly in our South African context, there's a lot of administrators sitting there because either they've got some form of self-interest, whether it's financially, whether it's profile, networks they want to cultivate, uh, they love the airtime on TV, who knows what it is. But I seriously question whether they are there for the right reasons. Yeah. So yes, I'm afraid self-interest plays a big part. Well, since you've opened the door to that part of the conversation, let's just jump straight in with Cricket South Africa. Just to be clear, you've not been involved actively in the administration for the last three years. So a lot what we're going to talk about is purely your sort of observations from the outside looking in. But it's been messy in the last few years. And, you know, the suspension of Tabang Maroe last December after, you know, Standard Bank walked away from an 80 million rand a year deal because of his management style. To the eight months it's taken for this forensic report, it's left Cricket South Africa looking pretty poor in the eyes of everyone because there seems to be no leadership, first of all, in, in the fact that Moreau was allowed to run riot and do what he liked uh, as the CEO with no board oversight. And secondly, the sort of uh, lethargic way that the investigation has unfolded. What's been your sort of take from the outside looking in? Craig, it's a very relevant question. And sitting here today, I've got so many disappointments and regrets, if I may say, about the state of affairs in South African cricket. And, you know, for the moment, let's put aside COVID-19, let's put aside the Black Lives Matter issues that have come to the fore. Without those two massive challenges, 
Cricket South Africa was in best described a royal mess. What does these two serious challenges that we now face add to the to the pot? I'm afraid potentially a death now. A big fear that many of us harbour and we are seriously concerned about is that South African cricket drops below a point beyond which you struggle to pick yourself up. You just become a spent force. You've lost uh, the infrastructure that takes enormous resourcing to build up. And in a flash, you can see all of that just disappear. You know, I can ask any father today, even a grandparent for that matter, who spend a lot of time with their, with their young grandkids or, or the fathers with their children. Would you today promote South African cricket or Cricket South Africa or even the franchise in your area as a potential avenue for a professional career for your youngster? Yeah. Nearly without fail, every single person has said to me, not a chance. Which is very sad. It's, it's, it's very sad. And that's why I say, at which point do we get to a, 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 a margin where beyond which you can't pick yourself up? And I say this because most talented sports people or most talented cricketers are multi-talented. They can choose one of several codes of sport. So when they're a teenager, 12, 13, 14 years of age, they're grappling between choosing cricket, rugby, soccer, maybe tennis, maybe golf. I'm sure you would battle to get your kid convinced to go into, into playing cricket with all the noise and all the, all the challenges around. So you're losing serious talent, uh, let alone the first point I made where you're damaging the resources that have been built up because of all that's going on. The focus is clearly not on the game. Yeah. So the last couple of years, we've had some serious problems. If we go back at the timeline, let's just have a quick look at that. October 2018, CSA publicly announced a projected loss of 654 million rand over the next four years. That's to the end of the current broadcast cycle, which I believe ends in 2022. Which SACA put the figure at 1 billion. Yeah, and the figure has obviously fluctuated, and it's fluctuated down in certain board meetings. But the reality is, whatever it is between 600 or a billion rand, it's a monumental amount of money. How did we get there? So maybe let me create a little bit of a context of some understanding. You need nothing less than five, more like 600 million rands per annum to run your cricket affairs domestically. So before you start any season, that's what you require. If that's your fixed cost, so to speak, you need to generate at least that amount, if not slightly more, because bad years will come and additional costs will come demanding another 50, 60, 100 million. So if you are not securing or raising 600 million per annum, you're not going to make ends meet. And what had happened whilst we faced with this fixed cost to run our cricket, the revenue line started to fall. The sponsors walking away. I'm not privy to what sort of broadcast deals were being spoken about. Uh, looking into the future, going down the road, bilateral cricket values are starting to decline. Money is becoming difficult to, to raise. And that's perhaps how they came to the rea realization that they're going to be short over the next four-year cycle. We, we always at Cricket South Africa budgeted or, or prepared budgets in four-year cycles because you have a bad incoming to a year and you have a good incoming to a year. Uh, so you just use one year, it's very difficult yeah. uh, to get a good picture or a fair picture. So you need to equalize it over and it turned out four-year cycles because in a four-year, the good tours will pay for the bad tours and you should balance out in a four-year cycle. The income streams 
typically, what is uh, the biggest sort of income earner for a cricket organization such as Cricket South Africa? Uh, broadcast rights. So your content that you have is, is worth a lot to you. The live cricket that you produce, in particular in years gone by, your international cricket. So media rights uh, is by far the lion's share of your revenue generation, followed by your sponsorships. You might not be surprised, but gate takings is a small part of your revenue streams. In fact, I should have mentioned, Craig, when I outlined the costs and the reason for the losses projected being a fall in revenue, you and I might not be privy to what has been wasted. I'm sure we're not. <laughs> so so I did learn about, through mainly media reports, of a lot of money that was paid in compensation and who knows what else has been going on. But you need to, you need to manage your costs as well. Otherwise, you're going to be short of money. Yeah, absolutely. And, and one of the big drainers, uh, post this, this revelation that CSA was going to come short with 654 million rand or whatever figure we want to put on that, close to a billion, was... The Manzanzi Super League, which we understand to be losing 80 million rand a year, which times two years, and it might go on this year, depending, maybe not given this current situation, but that's another roughly 160 million rand gone for a competition that's, that's dead in the water. Yeah. yeah, precisely. I mean, if you're needing to uh, to underpin or underwrite that sort of money, then you better generate twice that amount somewhere else. Exactly. Uh, and clearly it doesn't seem to be the case because you've had your major sponsors walking away. So it's a double whammy. You've got Standard Bank who are putting in close to 100 million a year and you've got Mazanzi League that's losing a 100 million a year. You take both of it into account, you're short of 200. Yeah, yeah it's a dreadful situation. We can talk about how we fix it in a moment, but let's just continue how we, we got here. I mean, I, I suppose Haroon, in the interests of fairness, people will say, oh, but Haroon Logat's got an axe to grind with Cricket South Africa. That's why, you know, let, let's just go back to your time there and, and, and the, as I described, the acrimonious departure. I mean, it, it all centered around the, the T20 Global League. It was a T20 competition that you were trying to, to bring to South Africa, an international T20 competition. And I seem to recall... We've had this conversation months ago. You, you mentioned there were very few windows left for T20 competitions to take place in the in the calendar. And that's why it was quite vital for this thing to happen when it was supposed to happen, which was about three or four years ago now. And we've lost that window, haven't we? So maybe if you could just give us a sort of a, an understanding of what T20 global cricket might have brought to the table as opposed to Manzanzi Super League, which is costing hundreds of millions. Mm. So maybe... Uh, just one step before that, Craig, and, and it comes from my experience at the time of the ICC, where one began to see quite clearly that in the future, the revenue or the sponsors, the broadcasters were, go, were going after T20 cricket. So, you know, the historical formats that we thoroughly enjoyed were starting to decline in appeal. And hence, if you wanted to generate monies in future, you needed a strong domestic T20 league. The IPL changed the face of not just cricket, world sport. So you needed to either fall in line or just be irrelevant in years to come. Right. So when I got to CSA back in 2013, uh, late, I think it was August I started there, one of the first things that we we're starting to look at, because the IPL was already four or five years old. Big Bash was around and there was other leagues that were starting to spring up. 
in the six months or 12 months before I got to ICC, uh, you mentioned in your intro I was involved in setting up the PSL, the Pakistan Super League. So it was clear to me that South Africa and South African cricket needed an attractive T20 league that would compete with among the best leagues in the world because that's where you were going to generate your revenue to fund everything else uh, in your programs from development to administration to everything else. So we started on that journey, but before we could really get going, uh, it was clear to me that South African cricket had a lot of challenges that it needed to fix first before it could go and start a new league. So we were already uh, another year or two behind the clock because it took us between two and three years to get South African cricket on a better footing. To give you just one example, virtually every one of our member affiliate unions were loss-making or just about breaking even. But the reality is every AGM, they turn to CSA and look for a handout or a bailout. Yeah. Uh, because you just can't get through the last few months to pay salaries and what have you. And that is unacceptable because you can't run a business when you hand to mouth. How do you focus on introducing new development programs or uh, or improving the skills of your player lot and so on. You simply can't if you don't have money and time, coaches and resourcing to do so. So we took two or three years to fix that. In 2016, we started uh, the ball rolling on, on developing this new league. And you can go look elsewhere, look at the hundred that the England and Wales Cricket Board uh, is launching. It takes no less than two to three years to put a plan together, to build all of the connections to that plan, and eventually to roll it out. We were very determined and we were prepared to burn the midnight oil so that if we started in Jan 2016, by the start of the following cricket season in South Africa being uh, October, November 2017, we wanted the league played. So we had 12 to 18 months to put this whole thing together. Yeah. And, and, and to go back to the point I made, we needed that so that we were relevant and able to generate money to sustain and grow our sport. So going back to the original question, how important was it to have a global T20 competition as opposed to a domestic one to bring in that revenue, to bring in those big players and I suppose big sponsors and big names as well? In a way, you left with no choice. The world is moving in a different direction. There's all of these leagues that are coming about. And if you look at even football, there would be uh, three or four very attractive leagues. Most of the players would migrate uh, to those leagues. You'll find the commercial partners searching for those leagues, first putting in the big money there. And if you want to fund your, your cricket system in your country, in my view, you needed to move with the times and establish a T20 league. There was a good reason why we called it a global T20. We wanted to play on the global stage. And as it turned out, when we managed to secure the team owners and the players, that will give you a very good reflection of the kind or the caliber uh, of team owners and players that were looking to, to play in South Africa. So, it's, 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 it's virtually a case of you just got no choice. You move with the times. If you want to sustain and grow your game, 
uh, you got to get into establishing a T20 league. And, and, and let's just so so you you got as far as establishing it. I think you 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 even had team names. You did a launch. There was a trophy. There was everything was ready to go, as, as I understand it. Why didn't it launch? What was the the thing that that stopped it, or the things, the, the few things? Yeah, that's the that's the right question because at the end of the day, I was let's say accused of not having two things. I was accused of of not not having secured a broadcast partner, and secondly, of of not having kept the CSA board abreast of what we were doing. Let me take the second one first. Quite simply. It's a false allegation. Uh, there was a four-person uh, committee that comprised the chairman, Tabang Morowe, who subsequently became the chief executive and the architect of the MSL. Louis van Zinne was on that board, Iqbal Khan and Kristen Zani. And the reason why there was this sub-board that I was reporting into was because of uh, the speed at which we were required to move Remember earlier on, I said we needed to condense two to three years work in 12 to 18 months. So we were moving at quite a pace and doing things late at night, early in the morning, middle of the day, and you just needed to move. There were regular uh, reports uh, that were made to these people. They in turn were were required to update the board as and when they felt necessary. In fact, the last written report produced by Mr. Panzuna was dated somewhere towards the end of July. Uh, when the last board meeting that I was involved in took place. And there was a full written report that was produced for that. So I don't buy the argument that they were not uh, kept abreast of what was going on. Uh, The second point about not having secured a broadcast partner, yes, at the date when I departed, there was no broadcast partner, but we were at advanced stages of discussions with securing a broadcast partner. Now, there was a very good reason why this was left to be done afterwards. Earlier on, the practice in in South African cricket and my predecessors, and perhaps you can understand why, they would secure that first because they didn't have the capital available to cover costs and establish a product without a broadcaster helping them. We had the money available to spend in order to establish the product and then go with a completed or near completed product to the broadcaster and and fetch a better price. When I left, we had Sky in the UK secured. I had come out of a meeting on the Monday prior to the Wednesday when I departed from CSA. On the Monday, I was sitting in the offices of Star Sports in India and they committed to provide me with a letter of undertaking for the rights for the subcontinent. By the Friday, of course, when I left on the Wednesday, that letter never came. And Super Sport in South Africa to purchase only the sub-Saharan South African rights had given me a written proposal, which I still got in my file somewhere, with an amount that they had offered. And perhaps there's a little bit of, of context to that also. It took us several months to convince Super Sport that they did not own the rights to the Global League. They were under the impression uh, that their contract provided them with ownership and the rights to all and every cricket in South Africa. And I disputed that argument because I said the league was a separate, it was so written in the contract. Yes, they enjoyed ownership or the rights of all cricket, except ICC cricket 
and any new league. League was spelled with a capital L. And clearly, the Global T20 League was a new league. So after some months of haggling, they then produced a proposal for me. And I had this in my possession at the time. Of course, I asked for a figure. They proposed uh, a figure slightly lower than that. And I am absolutely certain, Craig, as I sit here, that somewhere between those two figures, if not either the lowest number or the highest number that I wanted, we would have settled on a figure. And whatever that number was, Haroon, it's a lot more than they got from Mzanzi Super League, which was given away pretty much for free to the SABC. As I, as I understand it, it was a almost a trade exchange. Well, let's be honest with each other. You don't need to be a rocket scientist to know that they went to SABC and probably got zero. Yeah. And in fact, rumor has it that they incurred costs on the production because SABC weren't able to fund uh, the expenses. So, yeah. yeah, even if I got the rand, it might have been more than what they got. <laughs> and, and, and the other uh, aspect to this was the T20 Global League teams would have had to pay license fee, as I understand it, which which would have added another 30-odd million dollars to, to the CSA coffers for those license fees. Is that correct? That's, that's, that's correct. So the strategy was for the Global League uh, to operate separately and on its own, but the team uh, would have to be purchased or the license to operate a team would have been purchased from Cricket South Africa, and that would have totaled for the eight teams 32 million US per annum. Uh, the biggest centers went for 5 million US. Wow. And you know the, the owners to those teams. And the smaller ones like Paul, Benoni, Bloemfontein, they went for 3.5 million US. Wow. And these owners have put down their deposits, gone through the due diligence process, been screened. I can't remember exactly. I have 16 or 17 potential buyers were on the short list, and we settled with the eight. When you hear this, when an average cricket fan hears this, it's got to make them angry, and rightly so. Yeah, we had a competition that was days away from being signed off and guaranteeing South Africa hundreds of millions of income in Cricket South Africa annually to nothing. And now we've lost that slot in the calendar to a Manzanzi Super League, which cost in the, the CSA 80 million a year. Uh, it beggars belief that we've got to this situation, Haroon. Well, uh I'm, I'm not sure how to answer that. I've gone public to say I'm so disappointed that it didn't happen, that it didn't take place. I also don't understand, even after I left, why they didn't push through with it, because all that was left was to secure the deal with Supersport. And there must have been others who could have picked up with the other rights that we were selling elsewhere in the world. We had even extracted digital rights and were engaged in conversations with the likes of Facebook and Apple and all of them who were interested in that content. I don't know why they initially uh, postponed and then canceled the league. So it does disappoint me to no end. How was it used to ask you, though? This was obviously the thing that led to your, your disciplinary dispute with them, which, by the way, you were cleared of, just to be clear. But how did this lead to that? What was the uh, sort of the rap over the knuckles that they used this against you? It was the two points that I made earlier where they claimed that um, I was not keeping them abreast of what was going on. Sure. And the second one was that there wasn't a broadcast partner secured. And and so they claimed this, then you, you would have gone through a disciplinary process, I, I would imagine, and, and your name was cleared, as far as I'm aware. Is that correct? Well, we agreed to separate. They then uh, said to me, just hold on, we want to investigate a few things. I said, by all means. And that was the reason why my 
departure dragged on into early 2018. From what I can recollect, and remember, I was not privy or sitting internally, but I understood that there were two internal inquiries undertaken about the things that I was involved in on the Global League. And eventually, somewhere in December, there was a CSA media release that said uh, they found uh, no irregularities and everything was was properly recorded or whatever. I can't remember the exact words uh, that the president of CSA was quoted as saying in the media, but effectively it cleared me. And that's only when we really got uh, into uh, dealing with my exit arrangements. It's, it's incredible because... <laughs> I suppose, Haroon, it goes back to where we are now. It comes back to the board. Why was why were you the only one that was was hauled over the coals for this? Why was the board not taken to task? Because surely, as you said, you were reporting to a four man committee, which would have been reporting to the board. Why 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 was the board not implicated in alleged wrongdoing that you were implicated in? And now we've seen the same situation with Tabang Maroe. Uh, and the board yet again seems to not be uh, taking any responsibility for its actions. I think that's the pertinent question uh, that needs to be asked, Craig. With with and just leave my issue aside for a minute. There's a multiple number of issues which the CSA board has simply not taken responsibility for. You know, it's the old question: uh, Who polices the policeman? Uh, the the one of the drawbacks that I'm seeing now in the structure is that seven who sit on the board sit on the members council as half the members council, and presumably that's the seven more influential or powerful personalities because that's how they got elected onto the CSA board. <laughs> yeah. They come there and police themselves. That staggers me that there's seven members of the members council on the board and they are the people that have to hold the board to account. It's it's. Yeah, to use the old phrase, turkeys voting for Christmas, it's not going to happen. That's exactly the point. And, and where I, again, am, am quite disappointed is the role of the independent directors. And that was the whole thinking behind the design. But I guess the answer is let's not blame the structure, but, but look at the people. Yeah. I mean, people have to take accountability for their actions. And the board so far in everything, and now we're sitting eight months on after Tabang Moreau's suspension, after... A long list of indiscretions and uh, irregularities that we we can go into at great length, but the reality is he was suspended, and there's been an investigation, a forensic audit into Cricket South Africa. For the scope of that is is a little hazy, but we know credit card fraud, for lack of a better word, was was uh, was one of the aspects of the investigation. But eight months on, the board still all sits there, other than the few the few who resigned around December last year, and. Moreau sits there still earning a salary and he's had no he hasn't had his uh, day in court if you like it's messy it, it doesn't look good from the outside it looks like an organization in paralysis absolutely and as I said earlier there's multiple issues that you can point or lay at the at the doorstep of the board for having failed to to act or or, or to take uh, responsibility for if you take for example the bang Moroe was uh, quoted quite widely when he was running strong about the amount of responsibility that he's taking on, uh, about what he doesn't have to go to the board any longer for, for approval. Uh, there were all sorts of reasons put forward as to why that was the case. But the reality is the board delegated him with the authority. 
Yeah. And when these uh, issues failed, for example, those journalists were removed or their accreditation was removed. Yeah. Uh, who must take accountability? Yeah, he did come on the radio and admit it uh, the next day, which of course was the final straw, really, that ultimately led to his suspension. But it does beg another question: the disciplinary process. Why was there not an internal disciplinary process, and he was either found guilty or not guilty, and 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 fired or not fired? Why this long-winded external forensic investigation? It seems to me structurally a problem with the organization. I think it's a poor performance on the part of the board. There must be an absence of leadership currently. I mean, it was quite disturbing to read in the media when some of this was quite hot and burning. You had certain board members from CSA coming out uh, and defending the president because I think there were calls for his removal. Uh, and saying that the board was performing well. <laughs> yeah. The whole of the country, indeed, the whole of the world, I had calls from abroad that were saying to me, what's going on in your cricket? Can't you get back involved? You need to, and I said, not a chance. And in fact, Craig, I'll say it. I went publicly because people asked me to get back involved. And I said, I will not get involved with the current board in place because you can't be the reason for the problems we've got and then you want to be the people or the persons to solve it. Yeah, yeah. You've got to get independent people from outside to come and fix the challenges that you have. So to your earlier question about eight months to, to go through this process, I think, honestly, it is eight months too long. Yeah. Because there was enough in the performance of Mr. Morowe that would have entitled the board to have taken swift action before Christmas of that year. Well, we saw in Australia recently, their CEO was axed of a far lesser, uh, what appears to be a far lesser indiscretion by, by his board with, with, within days. Well, certainly my contract, and I'm sure the same would have been the case in Mr. Marowe's contract. If you bring uh, Cricket South Africa or the game into disrepute, you can be summarily dismissed. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to be the judge whether he brought uh, uh, Cricket into disrepute. The board must make that, that call. And if you, if you take anything in terms of the bad publicity and the reputational damage and Standard Bank uh, walking away uh, amongst other sponsors, then make up your mind whether the game and the organization was brought into disrepute and whether the board should have acted or not. It's that sort of situation that's left everything in limbo. And now we, we're in a, a public relations war we're seeing in cricket between Mr. Moroi and his legal people who are coming out in various media outlets and 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 sort of highlighting the incompetence of the board, which is which is fair enough. When you start employing PR agencies on both sides, <laughs> yes. you must know where you are. You, you're no longer talking about facts; you're talking about perception. <laughs> you're spinning stories. You're trying to get the upper ground. The, you know the facts and the morality of the situation is now left aside. Harun. it seems bleak and depressing, and there's nothing nothing good can come out of this. I mean, what's what's We've gone this far down the road from your vast experience in cricket administration. What's the best case scenario outcome from this whole mess now? You know, the first point that worries me is we've got to arrest the problem quickly because if you reach a certain tipping point, it's very hard to pick yourself back up. So to avoid that sort of situation, and the board has not been willing to do this, is to step down. People need to take responsibility. They need to put their hands up and say perhaps we should step aside and let somebody come in here 
and fix the place. We need new eyes and ears, uh, and we need some serious skill and independence uh, to take this forward. The quick answer to me would be for an interim group of, I don't know, call the number three, four, five people to be picked by the members council to say that you've got until the end of this year or until next AGM or whatever time period, please try and arrest the fall, the free fall that we're sitting in. The other aspect to this is, I understand it, that we're now in a very, COVID is obviously complicated matters. Uh, and it's also now a very delicate time in the, the big broadcast, the four-year cycle broadcast renewal talks. Jacques Fall is an acting CEO of Cricket South Africa who, who might not be around for much longer, another six weeks or, or, or so, uh, maybe longer, maybe less. But the point being, he, he's the acting CEO. Who's taking responsibility for mapping out the future of the next four years? Because they're so busy fighting and, and, as you pointed out, going into a public relations war about something that's happened months ago. Uh, who, who's actually got control of, of where cricket, steering cricket into the next four or five years? Well, I mean, spare the thought for Jack Fall. Put anybody in that uh, position in an in a interim capacity. How does the person really get motivated to worry about issues of planning three, four, five years down the line when you've got such a lot of issues that are challenging you today? And you don't even have a long-term future in the organization. You basically wake up and do today's work today. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's human nature. It's very, very difficult to set up your, your organization and your structure. And, and don't forget, you also got job that's been parachuted in there. There's a whole host of other executives or people that have got allegiances to, to, to different people. How does Jack Fall, in that space of time that he's sitting there, build the kind of trust and confidence uh, with the people who are around him? I think it's difficult. Yeah, it's extremely difficult. But we could uh, pontificate over this <laughs> all day. Just broadly speaking, though, cricket, India are the power force in cricket. They have been now for at least the last decade. They call the shots, maybe even longer, Haroon. You had your run-ins with the BCCI, the Board of Control for Cricket in India, in your time. Is it healthy for the sport to have one such powerful broker in the game that really can dictate terms for any aspect of the sport? Well, I think you can you can ask that question in, in any sector. It's not healthy for a monopoly type situation in any industry. And it's been a, a battle at the ICC level to keep every member satisfied when the shots are called by one or two. And, and a lot of what in my time we attempted to do was to create equity to try and help the nations that don't have the resources that the likes of India or England or Australia for that matter have. And in, in my view, uh, that's the function of the ICC, that you're there to govern the game globally. Take a real example. Is world cricket better off or worse without good cricket coming out of the West Indies, out of New Zealand, or out of South Africa. Yeah, it's a straightforward answer, really. Exactly. So, you know, you, it's unfortunate you will then come up in, in those battles where some are looking to take more at the expense of others. It's a finite sum of money that you've got. Mm. You allocate more to somebody, there's less goes to another. Yeah. Again, it's, it's one of those situations, how do you sort of step back from this? Because the monster has been created in, in a way. And I suppose if you're India... 
it's you know life is great you know the game's rich a lot of people are getting rich out of the game players are well paid but for the rest of the world the, the actual sport suffers exactly so if you forecast this well into the future you might end up with two or three countries playing cricket because they can sustain the game uh, and the rest would be the likes of with respect you know look where zimbabwe cricket is today yeah now let's just leave the governance issues aside the truth is they do not have sufficient funding to grow the game I mean, South Africa staring down that barrel in 10 years if, if the trend continues. And I suppose we've seen the West Indies have little blips of resurgence, but they're never going to be the force they were in the 70s, in, in the current structure, 70s and 80s. So cricket is really eating itself, isn't it? Well, th- this, this is why all the more reason we needed to establish a attractive 2020 league. Yeah. Because we needed the players to want to come play in South Africa. And, and Craig, let's not forget, we've got beautiful weather. We've got great facilities. Our cricket is of a very high standard. Most foreign players would love to come to South Africa. It is cost-effective for them. There's all the ingredients are here. There's multiple reasons why we would have succeeded in floating a league that would have competed with the best in the world. Has that opportunity gone forever now, Harun, do you think, or certainly for the foreseeable future? I think if I reference to some of the conversations that I have with people uh, outside of South Africa, and these are cricket people, uh, the level of confidence is low. I don't know whether team owners would pay the sums or, or look to come into South Africa unless something's changed. Don't ask me what that would be, but they need their confidence uh, to be to be raised again before uh, they come. So unless we do something dramatic and something quite drastic, we, we, we will miss this opportunity. On that very sombre note and cautious note, uh, I want to thank you for joining us today on the Maverick Sports Podcast, Arun Logat. It's been fascinating and thank you for joining us this week. Thank you, Greg. We love bringing you the Maverick Sports Podcast, which gives us the excuse to talk to some of the greatest names in sport. You can help us to chat to more world-class guests by reviewing and subscribing to Maverick Sports on Apple Podcasts. Maverick Sports.